So when I first uh, came here to Stonebridge, which uh, back in the day wasn't even called Simi Pres, but was called Simi Valley Presbyterian Church, I would get together from time to time uh, every couple of weeks or so with a retired pastor named Leo McDaniel, who I think would just take me out to lunch to be an encourager and so on. And while we were having lunch one day at a Chinese restaurant, I said to him, hey, you have any suggestions for really good continuing education, you know, professional development conferences and stuff? And he mentioned a big conference that took place in Orange County every year. So uh, I somewhat reluctantly um, signed up for it, and I went to this conference, and it turned out to be uh, a conference I enjoyed so much and got so much out of, I would return to uh, every year. So around 30 years ago, I, I find myself at this, this big church conference in Orange County, and as I'm looking at the schedule, it's you know a couple days into the conference, just had a big lunch, the venue was one of these things that got really warm during the afternoon, and it, nobody wants to speak immediately after lunch in a warm room. So, and I wasn't sure I wanted to go. I, I looked at the schedule. I had never heard of this person who was scheduled to speak. And knowing that it's going to be warm and fearing that the speaker could be boring, I briefly entertained the idea of skipping the session and just hitting the bookstore, which, as you know, I have a tendency to do. But since I was there to learn, I dutifully made my way to the session. And I sat down and I wondered if I hadn't made a huge mistake when I saw this kind of stocky guy, no socks, Hawaiian shirt, wander out onto the stage and begin to speak. But as I listened to this guy, uh, the truth is I started hearing God. God speak through him. It was my first exposure to, any guesses? Rick Warren. Yeah, Pastor Rick Warren. Um, He was doing a talk called The Kind of Leader That God Uses. And it was during that talk, The Kind of Leader That God Uses, that I heard a text that I must have read many, many times, um, you know, throughout my ministry. But you know how you can read a passage and read it many times, but then you read it and you finally get it? That that was my experience. I got it. That text would have a huge impact on me personally, and it would also come to have a huge impact, as it turns out, on our church family. And I think it's also a text that has something important to say in this new season in which we find ourselves. Here's the text. My text is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's a handsome guy. Anyway, <laughs> before I talk, actually talk about the text, as you know, I try to do in this series, let me give you a little uh, background, a little biblical and historical context of that particular verse, because it's super important. 
The Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it's one of four letters that was written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome, somewhere around 62 AD. The other uh, three letters that he wrote from prison at the same time he wrote the letter to the Ephesians uh, was uh, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, which was uh, addressed to an individual. Uh, He wrote this letter to the Ephesians. What we saw on a map last week where Ephesus is located, Ephesus was a port city located at the end of a major trading route on the west coast of Asia Minor. Um, It's in modern-day Turkey, by the way, for those of you who are curious. Ephesus was the home of the Temple of Artemis. And if you've never heard of the Temple of Artemis, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, along with the Colossus of Rhodes, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and the the Great Pyramid of, of Giza, and others. Now, who was Artemis? Artemis was one of the most popular deities in Greek mythology. Artemis was a goddess. And the cult of Artemis, or Diana, as she was called in Roman mythology, they're the same uh, person, this cult of Artemis seems to have begun with a meteorite that was believed to be her image fallen from heaven. And one of the things that was housed in the temple of Artemis was this meteorite that was said to look like her. Uh, By the way, this is a, a likeness of the temple of Artemis and Um, Many scholars believe that it it may well have been the largest building in the world, anywhere. Artemis was worshipped as as kind of a mother goddess, and she was referred to as Our Lady of Ephesus. Uh, There's a first century statue that's called Artemis of Ephesus that shows her adorned with multiple pendulous breasts, and that's, that's Artemis. Um, the Apostle Paul um, lived in Ephesus for a couple of years. And, um, and really, his ministry uh, created all kinds of conflict, um, in large part because of this cult of, of Artemis. He made enemies um, among, we know at least among the silversmiths, uh, whose livelihood depended on selling these little souvenir uh, likenesses and images and idols of this goddess Artemis. Um, Let me press the pause button here and just mention that a couple of years ago, I happened to be in Ventura and I was walking along Main Street. You know, they have a bunch of uh, antique shops there and everything. I was looking at the window of this antique shop, and I couldn't believe it because there was this little idol of Artemis in the window. Now, I don't know if it was a proper uh, relic or if it was just a souvenir that was, they were asking a lot of money for it, um, but, um, but they still sell these, these kinds of likenesses and so on uh, if you were to visit Turkey today. Paul's letter to the Ephesians was what's called a circular letter. And by that, I mean that it was meant to be read not just by uh, Christians in Ephesus, but by Christians uh, throughout Asia Minor. And so it would have been circulated, uh, probably would have been copied, duplicated, and so on, and, and sent around to many places. Today's text that we read just a moment ago comes from Ephesians chapter 3, And this is a chapter that is partly 
autobiographical. In it, Paul writes about his personal call to ministry and his unique role sort of in God's plan. Uh, He includes prayers for his church, and it's very clear in this chapter that he's deeply concerned uh, about his friends and fellow believers in Ephesus. Um, He's concerned that they're discouraged because of his imprisonment in, in Rome. And so, you know, he writes in part uh, to put all of this stuff into perspective. This is one of the things he says about his own ministry. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. What's he talking about when he says um, it is his job to, to share the outworking of this mystery? What, what was this mystery whose outworking Paul's called to preach? Well, to answer that question, we actually have to go back to the book of Genesis, where God calls Abraham, and he says to him, you will be, you and your wife Sarah will be the ancestors of a great nation through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. All the nations of the world, that means the Gentiles, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. So what Paul's talking about with this mystery that was revealed, it wasn't revealed until Jesus was born, lived his life, was crucified, and then raised from the dead. At that point, the mystery was revealed that Jesus came to unite all of us, Jews and Gentiles, into one body through the gospel. Elsewhere, Paul says that uh, there, therefore, there is uh, no difference. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And as Paul, you know, reminds the Ephesians of his unique call to kind of share this mystery and to be a means by which many people um, who heretofore had felt left out of God's plan this unique call to preach to the Gentiles. After Paul describes this, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. That's one of the interesting things about the Apostle Paul. When when he suffered, he saw it as meaningful suffering. He saw it as redemptive suffering. He saw it as something that was being used by God to bring many, many people into the family of God. Paul prays then that they would be strengthened with power through the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, in their inner being so that that their lives, their hearts, their minds, their wills would be transformed, that you would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being. And I love this, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Because it's, you know, when you're into theology and talking about God and so on, it's, it's easy to lose track of the fact that that's what we are all 
called to be about. What was the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul wanted to remind the Ephesians, we're rooted and we're grounded in love. One is an agricultural symbol, deep roots going down so that you bear much fruit. The other is an architectural image. You establish a firm foundation and you build upon that. And then he goes on to say, uh, to pray that they would come to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's, that's kind of a, a crazy sentence in a way. Uh, and actually, many of Paul's uh, sentences in Ephesians are sort of crazy. He gets so excited about, uh, he gets worked up, actually. You can tell he's getting worked up as he's writing this stuff because as we read our translations, you know, we might f- find um, eight different verses here. You know, verse one, verse two, verse three. For Paul, it's one big run-on sentence because he's so amped up about what he's come to understand about God and what God is doing in the world. And here, he's just so amped up. He's, he's saying, I want you to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge. Know something that surpasses knowledge. Of course, he's referring here that, that knowing is, uh, as people say, to know in the biblical sense, to know intimately, to know personally that it not be second or third-hand knowledge, but that each and every one of us have a personal relationship with a living God who loves us and whom we love in return. So Paul is saying that, that, that praying that they would come to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height and depth, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And if that were not enough... This is the point at which he launches into this text, which is the text that's touched me. A text that's been called the most soaring doxology in all of Scripture. A text in which Paul is no longer addressing the church in Ephesus. He is talking to God directly. And by the way, that's how we know we have a relationship with God. Not when we talk about, but when we speak with, and know God personally. And this is that doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, And in Christ Jesus, for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know, that's a text. How many times I read it? I don't know. But it touched me. And this text touched me because it really helped me to see in a way that I had not seen before that God can do infinitely more than all we ask or imagine. It describes God as a God who acts. God as a God who brings things about. A God who makes things happen. Not just a, a God we talk about and hope is out there, but a God who acts in human history. 
The God of the Bible is not some distant, disinterested deity, not, not the, um, the God of uh, the early American uh, deists who, uh, who understood God to be sort of a, a divine watchmaker who wound up the universe and then left creation to just run its course. No, this is a God who acts in human history and acts in people's lives and acts in the church of Jesus Christ. And this is a God who is able to do. And to do what? To do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. Now, when Paul talks about he's able to do immeasurably immeasurably more than all we ask, that word ask should be um, a kind of a, a, a trigger for us to realize he's talking about prayer here. And I have to say this about prayer. Most of us are pretty cautious in our prayers. Uh, most of us pray too little. And when we pray, we are cautious in our prayers. There's kind of a, uh, a, a calculation, I think, that a lot of modern-day Christians do when we pray. We figure out sort of what's possible and we ask for that. because we don't want to be disappointed. But the Apostle Paul is inviting us to pray great prayers, to pray audacious prayers. And why? Because he knows that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. This is an invitation for us to pray boldly, to pray expectantly, to trust God deeply. This is one of the things for me that was big when I heard this text in that fresh new way. I'd ask myself the question, have I really been trusting God? You know, this, this is an extraordinary thing to say. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God is telling us in this text, I can do more in your life than anything that you can come up with. I can do more in your life than anything you can even imagine. I can do more in the church than anything you could ask. Or imagine. I want you to think about this for a second. Really more than we can imagine? That is incredible. The gift of imagination is one of the most extraordinary blessings that we enjoy as human beings. And I'll tell you why. Because imagination isn't limited to just what is. Imagination invites us to consider the possibility of what could be. In fact, imagination invites us um, and allows us to imagine things that never have been. Things that seem to us impossible. 
Imagination isn't limited. You know, um, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, God is the creator, created the universe and everything in it. We, we know from science that the universe is expanding, and as it expands, it's expanding faster and faster. You know how big the universe is according to most recent calculations? 92 billion light years across. A light year isn't a measure of time, it's a measure of distance. One light year is how far light can travel in a year. And to think 90 billion light years, and by the way, it's expanding. Expanding into what? It doesn't have any edges. I don't even know how to answer that question. I can't imagine. But this is a text. It invites us to imagine, really imagine, imagine uh, the kind of life that God wants you to live, the kind of family that God wants you to have, the kind of church that this church could be if we trusted God. Imagine how God could bless this church family and how God could use this church family to bless our community and even the world. And I really invite you and encourage you to imagine that because, you know what, whatever you come up with, not even close to what God can do because God can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or even imagine. We need to be a church that prays great prayers. And by great prayers, I mean prayers that couldn't possibly be answered apart from the power of God. Because if we're just praying prayers for a church that can do what we can do on our own power, we're not trusting God. We want to pray prayers that can only be answered in the power, from the power of God, because God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I think a lot of churches die for lack of imagination, lack of fervent prayer, and lack of trust in the power of the living God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. As a matter of fact, as, you know, I told you that Paul kind of gets amped up you know, during his, his um, writing to the Ephesians. Paul is so convinced of the awesome ability of God to accomplish incredible things that actually he's writing in Greek and he can't find enough words in the Greek language to describe what God can do. So he makes one up. For Paul, there were no words. Literally, there were not words enough to describe what God is able to do. He actually invents this word, and it's the word that's translated immeasurably more, infinitely more, abundantly more. I don't even know how to translate it. It's a crazy word, word that just says, imagine something and keep going and keep going. That's what God can do. And if all that weren't enough... Paul tells the Ephesians that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask, that is, pray for, or even imagine. Listen to this. 
according to His power that is at work within us. You know, most of us, I think, um, when we think of God's power, we think of God's power in terms of creating the universe and uh, all of that stuff. But Paul has an extraordinary insight that God's real power is at work in his people. God's power is at work within us. I, I want you to know something about this. While God's power is at work in us, it's not from us. This is God's power, not ours, that's able to do immeasurably, infinitely more than all we ask or imagine. God is saying, I think, to, to you as, as a believer, I think God is saying to Stonebridge as a church family, as he says to all churches everywhere, I can do more. I can do more than you are allowing me to do. I can do more if you will trust me. I can do more, and I can do more, and I can do more, immeasurably more. I can do more in you, and I can do more through you. But, and here is what I remember most from the Orange County Conference I attended. And this may be the, if you don't get anything else out of today's message moment, this is it. God uses the person who truly trusts him. God uses the churches that truly trust him. Not who just believe in, in him. Scripture says that the, the demons believe and tremble. It's not about belief. It's about trust. About hearing the promises of God and saying, that's a promise for me. It's about hearing the promises of God and knowing that's a promise for my church. And the question that I would, uh, would have you spend time with this week is this, do you really trust God? Do you trust Him to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine? Or have you settled for what your life is like now, for what the church is like now, what your family's like? God can do more. This text truly changed my life as God used it to teach me to trust him to do great things. And, you know, I'd been a, a pastor, um, I think, for 12 years. And you guys know I didn't grow up in the church or anything like that, but I'd, I'd been a pastor 12 years when I came uh, to this community. Uh, and that whole time I realized that um, I gave biblical messages, I taught Bible studies, 
You know, I gave, I visited people. I did all that stuff that, you know, pastors are expected to do. But the one thing I didn't get is that my biggest job, if you will, as a pastor of this church was to truly trust God. It's not something you can delegate to anybody. And not only was my biggest job to truly trust God and just, you know, work out of that center, but to encourage our session and our church leaders and our teams. Let's trust God. As most of you know, I'm sure by now, this past week I announced that I'm going to be retiring at the end of this year. And my last worship services here at Stonebridge are going to be um, on Christmas Eve, after which Peg and I are going to be joining Ruth and James and the Corgi, uh, Indy, for the remainder of the holidays. And by the way, doesn't Edinburgh, Scotland look great at Christmas time? Um, I know that, that my retirement, this announcement, following a really long, an unusually long tenure as your pastor, I know that it must have, have generated all sorts of questions and all sorts of feelings, uh, and probably a lot of mixed feelings. I, I totally get that. I feel the same way uh, when I hear people uh, who are members of Stonebridge, and I've spoken with a number of them over the years, say, you know, I'm retiring and I'm going to move to Arizona or something like that. I go, oh, are you kidding? This kills me. I get it. By the way, I'm not moving to Arizona. I'm not moving to Scotland. We're going to stay where we're staying in, in Moorpark, at least for the immediate future. And yeah, no, we're not moving to Scotland because just like in the United States, they sort of like to you know, put limits on the number of people who use their public services and so on, right? But we will be visiting more. But um, I imagine, let me say this about your feelings. A um, number of years ago, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote this book on death and dying in which she was able to identify some of the uh, stages of grief that people go through on, on the loss of a person through death. But I think it applies to, to other things, like divorces and retirements of pastors and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's part of it that's disbelief, you know, kind of shock, initial shock, disbelief. I can't can't believe this is happening. There's some bargaining. You sure you want to do this? There's anger, which we really don't want to admit, but it's like, why don't you stay in? You know, I, I ask you if you do my funeral for me, and now you're, I'm not going to die in the next few months. And, <laughs> right? Um, but ultimately, you know, you come to the point of acceptance. And I, I imagine that one of the big things that you have been wondering is, how's this going to affect me? And when I say, how's this going to affect me, you know I'm not talking about me, me. I'm talking about you, me, right? <laughs> He's leaving. How's that going to affect me? So I want to take a little bit of time uh, and talk about what to expect in the months ahead. Uh, first of all, our session has already put a team in place. We've been, without me setting a specific date, uh, 
You remember when we did the REACH campaign, I had alluded to the fact that I'm kind of looking at a sort of a three-year window here, and, and the so session has been talking about succession plan and transitions and so on. Session already has a team in place to begin the process of calling an interim pastor. Now, what's an interim pastor? An interim pastor is a temporary pastor who's trained to serve churches that are in the process of calling a new pastor. That interim pastor will begin serving Stonebridge in the new year. This person will not be the next senior pastor. They're not allowed to be. So no matter how much you like them, I hope you'll like them, but I hope you'll... You, you will come to know. I trust God that you will come to know and love the senior pastor even better. The interim pastor only serves until such time as the senior pastor is called. So that's the interim pastor part. Upon my departure, again, this will be very early in the new year, a pastor nominating committee will be elected by the congregation. Our regular nominating committee will get together and they will uh, select people uh, to present to the congregation to serve on the nominating committee, pastor nominating committee. And these will be people that have the church's broad interests in mind, not to represent constituencies, but who love all of Stonebridge, have a vision, and, and who trust in God. And this pastor nominating committee will be elected by the congregation to identify and interview and ultimately select a single candidate who will be presented to the congregation as their nominee for senior pastor. I remember when I was called as senior pastor here at Stonebridge, um, actually I wasn't even senior pastor then, I was sole pastor when I first came here. Um, I think it took about a year from the time the pastor nominating committee began until uh, I was called as the pastor. Uh, I think they received over 200 um, personal information forms from different pastors all around the United States. And somehow I got the job. Thanks be to God. Uh, our, our session, um, during this pastor nominating committee process, our session and the different ministry teams that we have will be working really closely with the Presbytery of Santa Barbara to move this process for, forward as quickly and as smoothly and as responsibly as possible. But I do want to say this, you don't want to do it too quickly. You don't want to just fill the slot. What we want to do is trust God's perfect timing and, and not just say, well, we really need somebody, but no, God, who is the person that you've chosen? Some of you might be wondering about the REACH campaign and our renovation and construction plans, and uh, the, the quick answer to that question is we're moving ahead full steam. Our session, our pastors, our uh, ministry leaders, our ministry teams, all of us remain committed to the goals of the REACH campaign and the renovation and construction plans are continuing to move forward. And I, I think it will not be uh, terribly long until you start to see some work in the building next to us. 
because we are going to completely renovate the, the downstairs of the Family Life Center, turn it uh, over completely to children's ministry, move the offices upstairs, put a, uh, an elevator in, and so on. That's going to be phase one after that. By God's grace, we will then begin construction on the new worship center. I will not be here with you for that. I hope you will invite me back when, uh, when it's completed. Somebody asked me last night, well, you're going to keep worshiping here, aren't you? And the answer to that is, as much as I would like to, no. And the reason is really simple, because you don't want the former pastor sitting in the church while the new pastor is trying to establish himself or herself as the pastor. That only makes sense, right? So one of the things Peg and I are going to be doing is we're going to start looking for a place to worship. So I really um, covet your prayers for that. All of which to say is this, that there's a process in place. There's a process in place. Um, and this process is um, being done in the context of trusting God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or even imagine. There's a, a process in place that our session and our pastors and program staff and that our interim pastor who is specially trained to do interim work will be helping you through. And as I said, it is a process through which God will be at work within us. You know, think back. Um, most of you have not been here the almost 30 years that I have been, but some of you have. For some of you, it may be just, you know, 20 years or 10 years or 5 years or 5 months. It doesn't make any difference. I think it's, it's pretty clear that God has done some absolutely amazing stuff during our time together. And there is absolutely no reason to believe that God won't faithfully continue to be at work in and through Stonebridge Community Church if you will truly trust Him. Truly trust Him. So I look back over the, the past 30 years and, and as I think about your future, it's clear to me that, that whatever gifts I have brought to the table have been gifts from God. They've, they're from God. And whatever we have achieved, whatever we've accomplished together has been done by God. It's been done by God who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. Which is to say, when all is said and done, God, and really God alone, deserves all the glory, honor, and praise. To Him, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. See, in light of, of all that God has done, and in light of the immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine that God has yet to do, how could we not give God 
all of the glory and honor and praise. And it's interesting to see what Paul uh, says here. He says, to him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. Not just in us as individuals, in the church. You know what? The church is not an optional part of Christianity. The church is essential to it. The gospel would not have moved forward for over 2,000 years. The church didn't exist. And if every follower of Jesus Christ said, well, I don't need the church, I can worship God in my own way, Christianity would have died. The church is essential to the proclamation of the gospel. And when I speak about church, I'm not talking about some building. I'm talking about you. The church is the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. And so I want to say to each and every person who is here today, keep being a part of the church, of Stonebridge Community Church. Keep worshiping. As a matter of fact, I would say worship more than you have been because a lot of people miss about two or three or four weekends out of the month sometime. This is precisely the time during which we need you to be here. And you know what? Other believers need you to be here. Your being here is an encouragement and your absence is discouraging. And we owe it to one another. But most of all, recognizing, wow, it's really not about me and it's not about us. We owe it to God. To Him be glory in the church. So I want to encourage you to worship. I want to encourage you to be in a growth group. If you're in a growth group, continue to do that. Because that will be a great, a great place for you to, to feel. Wow, there is, even with this big change, there's continuity here. These are my friends who love me. I love them. And we can work through this together. And we can pray together. And we can trust God together. I encourage you to serve. So the people in our community know that Stonebridge Community Church is a church family that truly loves God and others, whether they're a part of this church family or not. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I hope you guys know this, but my ministry here at Stonebridge has never, ever been about me. It is just me doing my best to point you to Jesus. Ready for this? Jesus is not retiring. Comfort yourselves with these words. 
Jesus isn't retiring. So the greatest compliment you can pay me isn't to come up and say, oh, your sermons have been so great and all this kind of stuff because it's not about me and my sermons. But the greatest compliment you can pay me is that I have helped you to know and to love and to serve Jesus better. To him be all the glory and honor and praise. Paul goes on to say, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. One of my deepest desires our whole time together has been that we would be a church where people who don't go to church can find a church where they are welcomed and where they are loved and where can experience salvation, where they can come to understand and worship God and grow in their faith and serve others and invite others to discover what they have found here. You know, I think one of the, the really important things um, uh, for us to remember, and, and we, we lose track of this because of, you know, two centuries of the unfolding of the uh, of the Christian church and so on. Um, but in the earliest days of, of the Christian movement, it was precisely that. It was a movement. They didn't even worship in buildings. It was a movement. One person telling another person about Jesus. And the church grew exponentially. You know, that's what I would like to see happen here at Stonebridge Community Church. I remember years ago hearing somebody say it really, uh, really struck me as being such a challenge, but really profoundly true. He said, you know what? We need to die as a church and be reborn as a mission. The church began as a missional movement. And by God's grace, the church of Jesus Christ and this church in particular will continue and by God's grace and this is my prayer will do even better in its mission to reach the lost to make disciples and to send them out throughout all generations you know one of the the, the bits of calculus that went into my uh, decision to retire yeah I do want to spend time uh, with with Peg while the two of us um are enjoying our health. But another part of it is my concern for our church because I know as a long-tenured pastor, one of the things is that people just get comfortable, dare I say, lukewarm. And my hope and prayer is that Stonebridge never be a lukewarm church, but a church that is on fire a church that is part of the missional movement of Jesus Christ. My hope and my prayer is that our children will authentically, they don't already do so already, that they will authentically come to know and to love and to serve and to praise the Lord. My prayer and my hope is that their children will want to 
and ultimately will come to love and to serve and to praise the Lord. And that that process will continue generation and generation until such time as Jesus Christ returns. At which point, you ready for this? We will all love and serve and praise the Lord in his presence together forever and ever. Thanks be to God. So now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And let all God's people say, Amen.